You're listening to the J.C. and Morgan podcast presented by BP Skinner Clothiers. Folks, if you want to make sure that you look your very best, don't settle for the department store down the street where you're getting something off the rack that is lesser quality and you're dealing with salespeople that sometimes, let's face it, can be a little bit pushy. Get a guy whose sole goal is to make sure you look your very best and he goes out of his way to do so. When I say out of his way, I mean he's coming to you no matter where you're listening to us on this podcast. Brent Skinner a BP Skinner Clothiers will come on out. You book an appointment on the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. He'll have a consultation with you. He'll bring the samples of some of the most luxurious fabrics from the finest mills in Europe for you to look through as they begin to design your custom garment. After that, it's a few weeks and you are done. It's mailed to you at your door, and you're ready to go. You, like me and so many others that Brent has worked with, will notice the difference in how you look and how you feel, and the price is right. Again, go to the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. Set up an appointment with Brent Skinner. He'll come to you no matter where you are in the country, and you will begin to look your very best. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Welcome, welcome, welcome to one of the final 2019 installments of the J.C. and Morgan podcast as we're getting closer and closer to 2020, as uh, Barbara Wowo used to say. Mike Morgan, J.C. Sherbert here. Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network, J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports, TheBigSpur.com. Uh, one of us has been super busy today. The other one has had kind of a kind of a breather today, to be honest with you. You, JC, and all your infinite recruiting wisdom have been keeping up with that, uh, both, I guess, locally and nationally, as you do, and we will get into that. Again, this is not going to be just uh, a complete in-depth look of every school and the recruiting class. You've got enough uh, different avenues out there, but uh, I would be uh, remiss if I didn't tap into the the mind of uh, one J.C. Sherbert who's been covering this uh, nationally for, for quite some time and uh, does it as well as anybody and can put it in perspective. That's really what I want, J.C. I don't, I don't need to know. I think like most of us, you know, uh, breaking down film of the four-star guy that's going to Auburn, but I'd like to know some of the trends, how things have changed. We talked about the early signing day last time, how that's changed the the landscape of signing day, uh, all that stuff. And we will get into that. We'll also uh, finish with some bowl talk for those that feel like I need some bowl talk. We'll get you some bowl talk. Um, but first off, we'll, we'll dive into the playoff, which of course was announced since our last podcast and the Heisman Trophy. With all that said, how are you, Sir Sherb? I am outstanding. I think that. Um Today was always it's always a good day, National Signing Day, and of course now it's different. Uh, I have to I'm still sort of making the adjustment after just looking forward to February all these years now. You know, eighty eighty five percent of the guys sign early now, um, and, and it's really changed the dynamics of a lot of things. And, and we talked about we talk about coaching changes on this show all the time. Uh, I think that when you look around the country and you see some schools sort of standing pat, so to speak, uh, that plays a factor, probably not the factor, but a factor because, you know, under the old method when everybody signed in February, you know, you were sitting there looking at, um, I guess, a a month, three weeks to get a class together. That's still breakneck speed. Um, And you could flip guys and maybe, maybe you had a relationship with a new staff member that, you bring over and, and the kid looks at your school and he's not solid anyway. But now, you know, 85% of the available players are locked down right before Christmas. And so if you're a new staff and, you know, like Sam Pittman at Arkansas today, you know, bless their hearts out there, they, they, they did what they could. But, you know, now they have to go find players. And, and so, you know, coaching changes that, that, that occur now during coaching change season really put a school behind the eight ball uh, in terms of the recruiting process, simply because of the calendar these days. So I think that's fascinating, but um, certainly uh, it was an interesting day. I liked it because it wasn't a lot of drama. Um, and uh, we'll get into into kind of some players to watch and, 
you know, the, the big picture, because there are some trends out there I'm keeping an eye on that are going to affect what we talk about on this podcast each and every week, uh, which mm-hmm. is college football coast to coast. Sure, sure. You mentioned Sam Pittman. I I, uh, I actually watched almost all three hours of the uh, ESPNU coverage with our man Tom Luganbill, um, kind of manning that and just listening to certain uh, things, uh, him and uh, uh, Jim Mora. Um, but Lugs is somebody I've known for a long time and, and have a lot of respect for in, in that realm. And just listening to him talk is very interesting. And of course I did some interviews and I, <laughs> I saw Sam, the press conference for Sam Pittman and kind of like what you're talking about. Of course they finished dead last 14 out of 14 in the sec uh, in recruiting rankings. But <laughs> he basically said, look, I just had to go out there and take best athlete available at every position. That's all you could do if you're Arkansas. That's all you could do for Sam Pittman getting that job at that point. I mean, think about what Arkansas has been through the last few years. There, there, there's no reason why you would expect them to be in the running for a lot of five-star, four-star kids. So um, uh, it, it was interesting to hear that. Of course, there's a lot of the usual suspects at the top. It's kind of funny how the same schools we see at the top in recruiting seem to be the same schools that uh, we're talking about in the playoff, which segues nicely into the fact that we have our four-team playoff. And the playoff is what everybody expected it to be, and we hope we have a good game between Clemson and Ohio State in the semis. I think that could be a classic. I think that could be easily one of the best playoff games that we've had in the six years of its existence. And then you have Oklahoma, who hopefully give LSU a run just from an entertainment standpoint. I'm selfishly rooting for that. That'll be on the 28th. And then, of course, we'll have a championship game uh, later on in New Orleans. The other thing, you know, talking about disturbing trends, the Pac-12 is out again. That's the fourth time in six years. Their recruiting is down in that league. Southern Cal is being out-recruited by Group 5 schools. There's a lot of things that uh, if you're Larry Scott – the Superman two movie kind of rings a bell here, because if you remember Superman two, not the one with Richard Pryor, that was a debacle. Uh, but the, if you remember Superman two, it's when Clark Kent, Lois Lane kind of feels she, she figures out who he is and he can't hide it anymore. So he's like, ah, the hell with it. I'm, I'm hanging up the Cape, taking it to the dry cleaners. And instead of focusing on saving humanity and, and tragedy and perhaps even death of thousands of people, I'm going to focus on taking Lois Lane to the melting pot and making sure she has a good time. And got the romantic side. Yeah. Dealing with the little cheese at the fondue, I guess. It's outstanding. The cheese, the chocolate, the wine. I mean, who doesn't have fun at, at the melting pot, right? Yeah. But while he, well, you know, while they're dipping the little stickers in the in the cheese and the bread, you know, there's like people driving off a cliff, and there's no Superman to to, to all of a sudden, you know, save the car from plummeting into a uh, towering inferno and and people perishing in the fire. Well, that's kind of how I feel about Larry Scott. Sometimes uh, that's where I'm going with that. Is that Larry Scott? You know, he was very vocal when he first took over that job. Do you remember, like, people were like, wow, this guy's a he's a go-getter, he's a trendsetter, he's a, he's a dynamic personality. And all these things have happened with the Pac-12, with the d- debacle with the TV network, um, can't figure out what time slot to put games on, uh, re- every, just everything down. And, of course, the most glaring uh, weakness is that they've been out of the playoff four to six years. And I'm just like, Larry Scott, I feel like he might be – you know, dating Lois Lane or something like it, like he needs to get his cape back from the dry cleaner and do something. Somebody needs to do something with the PAC 12 because you listen to people like Rick Neuheisel and other people I respect that really care about that league and have ties to that league. And you can tell there is a genuine, it's not even a concern anymore. It's almost a fear that this league is getting passed by severely by the other four power five leagues uh, and the recruiting only amplifies that yeah and, and, yeah definitely and I've, I've got some some hard stats here uh, about the state of california which is of course the bread basket if you will of the pac-12 you know you you have bread basket areas and, and the, the sec one thing about the sec is they've got a bunch you know they got texas and Florida and Georgia and all the southern states and uh, you know the Big Ten has Ohio primarily but it also includes the DC area which is good and New Jersey which is good now um, you know of course the Big 12 is Texas 
uh, and, and the Pac-12 is California. But I've got some stats for that. But, you know, besides the recruiting right now, because I think the recruiting uh, is a – I think there's all these symptoms, um, and, and, and recruiting is one of those. Uh, and you got to kind of trace sometimes. If you get sick or whatever, you're like, well, how did, how did this happen? Well, here's what happened. I think it crushed them when Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas, Texas A&M flirted with them. That was going to be the demise of the Big 12. All those Texas schools were going west. Yes, the the, the mighty Pac-16, if you will, which would have made perfect sense. And uh, that whole thing, from what I read, was driven by the University of Texas because they feel that culturally in Austin, they're more similar to the Pac-12 schools than they are with the SEC or the other schools. Which, you know, culturally, parts of Austin, you know, that are grown probably are. Um, and, and that thing fell apart. And, of course, they, they created the Longhorn Network. And the Pac-12 added Colorado and Utah, which were, you know, sensible ads. And created their own network. The number two thing was creating their own network. Uh, I think that put them kind of behind the eight ball because it, it's such a massive undertaking for a conference you work in TV, Mike, you know, it's a lot easier to have TV people doing the TV. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm yes. saying? That just starting it from scratch. Um, it, it's very, very difficult, you know, and, and I mean, I think that maybe they should have consulted some experts that, you know, <laughs> could have helped them with that Fox or ESPN or well, something like I, that. I, can I just interject um, sure. just for, for what, well, cause a lot of people are probably saying, well, wait a minute, JC, uh, the Pac-12 has a network. The SEC has a network. The Big Ten has a network. What's the difference? The difference is the Big Ten, for example, is basically a Fox creation, right? So they have Fox TV people, to use your term, uh, running it and running it very well. It's been very successful. That was the first of its kind. That set the table. You knew the SEC wasn't just going to sit back idly. We can go ahead and make our own network. Oh, what the ESPN wants to be? At front and center, the worldwide leader. Yes, ESPN. Let's let's go ahead and work together on this, and and that's what they did. And of course, now they've got the ACC network, the Pac-12, and Mr. Scott said, "Nah, we don't need all those guys and their TV jargon and their networks, and we're going to do our own network, and we're going to see who's going to pick it up and carry it." And 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 so anyway, and you know, I don't feel too comfortable talking about other networks because I don't. No, uh, it, it's not my goal. To be critical, I, I wish the Pac-12 well. I wish all of that well. I, I know people in television that work for just about every network, and I know people that work for the Pac-12 network. I don't want to see them get fired or be unemployed. I hope that that thing works. But the fact of the matter is it's it's it has not been nearly the success of the SEC network, the Big Ten network, et cetera. And so when you add that amongst the other issues you spoke of, you, you've got some issues over there out west. Yeah, exactly. And, and, I, and yeah, I think that's a cause. And, and I think another cause is, you know, what's happened all, not only on the field but on the court. Um, the NCAA basketball tournament, Mike, the Pac-12 has not only been kind of middling in the playoffs for football not making it or whatever, but basketball. You know, the Arizona had a pretty good team a couple of years ago. They go out early. Um, they don't have, they're not one of these multi-bid leagues anymore. Um, and they've got some good, and, and that's the problem. Um, I also think you look at situations in football. If you want to flip it back to the gridiron, where a couple of years ago you were sitting on like a a bunch of good coaches at those schools, and some of them didn't work out for competitive reasons or whatever, and so they made changes. And you know, some of those changes hadn't necessarily been uh, for the better. Or it's to be determined, and, and so you, you've just got a lot of uh, a lot of knocks against that league. And I'll talk about the recruiting thing in a minute. But you know, and, and look, it was there for the taking. Utah is a program that's that's had a lot of success. I mean, Utah's football program since Urban Meyer came out there for those two years, and Kyle Whittingham took over. It has been nothing but a success story, transitioning into a Power 5 league, you know, outside of TCU. I don't know of a school that's done a better job of that in all sports. Um, And it was there for the taking. But sometimes when a program hadn't been there before, 
and they're playing a conference championship game, and this talks about the focus on the playoff and all that. And all week they're here at national playoff, national playoff. They're going to go play LSU or whoever. Uh, and they didn't really – that team, that game, which is atypical of Utah, just looked like they didn't, they didn't feel like they needed to show up against Oregon, <laughs> which was 10-2, and two, you know, pretty good football team. And they got waxed. And so, I mean, I, I believe it was there for the taking for them this year. And it's just unfortunate. And, you know, as the years go by and they continue to struggle for relevancy – you know, it's going to be harder and harder and harder because, you know, in college football in particular, relevancy and optics, I love that word, optics, that's what gets players. Excuse me, I'm allergic to excellence here. Um, and and, and that, that drives the, the recruiting. You know, there's no draft in college football. You don't get the first pick if, if, you, if you're the worst team. You know, you have to go convince guys. It's a sales job. And when your optics are not good, um, you know, that's tough. And and I'll tell you this right now. For a while, Mike, we were seeing a phenomenon in recruiting. And, again, I'll I'll break down some stats when we get our recruiting thing, where a lot of guys were wanting to go west. You know, you had guys that, uh, you know, five-star receiver out of North Carolina a couple years ago went to Cal. Um they played well, you know. UCLA would get some guys from back east. S, this was kind of when SC was rolling uh, during the Pete Carroll era and stuff. Um, and at that point, you kind of looked at it and you went, man, there's a lot of kids from the east coast going west um, and not so much the other way around. Well, now that migration has turned the other way. Um, and I think that, you know, we're beginning to realize now that our, our country is getting even smaller you have direct flights into a lot of these places back east that are easy to get to. Um, it's a four-hour flight, you know, from California, from Los Angeles to Atlanta or to Athens or to wherever you want to go. Um, and that's really not that far. So I, I think that uh, our, our country is getting smaller. You know, you got communication uh, to where it's not as bad for a guy to go that far from home and a lot of these guys are, are taking advantage of that, and so that's kind of eroding the talent pool um, slowly. It, it, it's it's kind of like a Shawshank Redemption uh, kind of thing. You know how he took the chisel hammer and dug the tunnel for 10 sure. years? It, it's not happening overnight, but you kind of see it each and every year to where you sort of start to wonder if, you know, if, if you know, and again, optics matter. If it's not, if it end up being not cool to go to a Pac-12 school, and they're going to be relegated to second-tier players from their region, and at that point, you know, it's going to be really tough. So, I, I, I think they desperately need it. And look, it, it may be Oregon that ends up having to take the banner for the conference because uh, they were really good this year. Uh, I think that they've got recruits in the pipeline to get back to that powerhouse status. And like I said, they almost were back there this year. It's not Southern Cal right now, uh, and they've got problems of their own. But uh, I I think the best thing to happen for that league would be for the Ducks or or somebody, but I think it'll be the Ducks to kind of get back to national relevancy, maybe, heck, win the national championship like they haven't done twice in two opportunities, but I, I think that that has to, you know, they, they more than any other conference need a a knight in shining armor um, to kind of appear and, and have a dominant season, get to the playoff, and make some noise. They do. I could also say that minus Oklahoma, the Big Twelve is in very similar shape uh, in almost every facet of what we talked about, including recruiting. If you look at the recruiting rankings, and it's it's a whole lot of SEC, Big Ten, ACC, and there's the Big 12 and the Pac-12 at the rear. The Big 12 does not have their own network. The Big 12 has 10 teams, and the Big 12 seemingly is run by Texas and Oklahoma, and the other eight just kind of, um, you know, they're at the other side of the spectrum. And there's always, uh, it seems like, realignment um, and conference expansion has been put on hold for a while. At least you don't hear it. Although you know, sometimes we don't have warnings like that's like, kind of like a stock market crash. You, you don't know it's there until it's there. You know, they don't tell you three days ahead of time it's going to happen. Otherwise it wouldn't crash. Um, but assuming there is, I mean, that's a good thing in a way because all the rumors were, if, if it does do that, Texas or Oklahoma, 
and even Oklahoma State, if that's a package deal, would be the ones to go. And if that happens, the Big 12 is, is basically dead in the water. But uh, you know, we'll see how Oklahoma does. Again, they're a prominent program, and they continue to do well, and they've got one of the hottest young coaches out there who appears to be very content with staying. We'll see how the Cowboys situation uh, unfolds if and when they fire Jason Garrett. But uh, that's another league with, with issues. But you don't talk about it as much because you got Oklahoma. It's just like the ACC. This was a down year for sure for the ACC, but you got Clemson. And at the end of the day, people don't judge conferences from the bottom up. They, the point I always make, they judge it from the top down. People don't get into arguments, SEC versus ACC, and go, oh, yeah, well, Vanderbilt's better than Duke. No, Duke's better than Vanderbilt. That's not the way the argument goes. It's who's better, Alabama, LSU, or Clemson? You know, and when the ACC's healthy, okay, I'll take Florida State and Clemson. You give me Georgia and LSU, and who's better? Like, that's how we judge it. Um, and so those two schools are carrying the program for their respective leagues again in, in this playoff. I, I The other thing that has been coming up, is of course we have more players sitting out bowl games this is obviously becoming a trend i mean when you start getting a guy like deandre swift and granted he's banged up much like a christian mccaffrey was banged up much like a lot of these players that have sat out have had a legitimate injury but certainly not one that would take them out of the game we're not talking about the lending tree bowl we're not talking about the idaho potato bowl we're talking about significant bowl games where players have been sitting out the last few years. And then you have the situation where uh, even like New Year's Day bowl games, first of all, I don't know if the committee really, I mean, you saw what they did to Alabama. They basically relegated Alabama to like a mediocre team. They basically said, yeah, Alabama, you're, you're 10 and two, but you're really not that good. We're not putting you on uh, one of the big ones. You're in the Citrus Bowl, my friend. Jeez. I mean, that was... I don't know exactly what the MO or the committee was on that one, but holy smokes. I, yeah, I mean, you, can, I, you think Alabama's not as good as Florida? I mean, I think Alabama's better, a lot better. Yes. But they yes. lost by five points on their home field of the number one team in the country. They lost by three points on um, away from home uh, to their in-state rivals, Auburn, and uh, top ten team in the country. So Right. Yeah, other than that, they were 10-0. Yeah, I mean, they, and they they got they got crucified in the uh, in the pecking order and in the in the last rankings, which I don't even know if that means anything anymore. But uh, you know, your Sugar Baylor, Georgia, your Rose, Wisconsin, Oregon, your Orange, Virginia, really Virginia, at nine and four versus Florida, uh, and your Cotton is Penn State versus Group Five winner Memphis. And by the way. I have never felt stronger, and you and I have talked about this, I've never felt stronger that something that needs to be done uh, because, we, as we've talked about, this is better than the BCS, but there's still a lot of issues. We need a Group 5 playoff. Uh, just, just, just stop the madness. Give these schools something to play for. Make these games more relevant. I don't care if you tie it in with the Lending Tree Bowl or not. I don't care if you tie it in with the Arizona Bowl, the Belk Bowl, uh, the Camping World Bowl, the Cheese It Bowl. By the way, I love Cheese It. So that's. Oh yeah. I, I mean, I don't care what that Washington State at six and six, six and six versus Air Force. I, I don't know about the game itself, but I do know that I'll be eating Cheese It's when it's played. Uh, unsolicited plug for for that fine product. But I mean, we could we could easily come up with a four to eight team group five playoff and make those games relevant and give those schools because they're never going to compete for a national title. They're never going to be in a four team playoff. The only way they'll be in an eight team playoff is is, is if you make them reserve a spot, yeah. which is a subject of controversy. So why not just do what F, what FCS and Division two and just just give them a playoff. Just let them do it. Let Memphis compete with the top teams in group five. Yeah, you'd have had a Memphis and uh, maybe a Cincinnati. We may have had Memphis-Cincinnati part three. Um, you know, Appalachian State would have been in there. Uh, SMU maybe. I mean, look, I, I, I'm i with you there. And I think you could do it really well. And the bowl games, Mike, the bowl system is dying. And, and there's a lot of problems with the bowls. First thing is playoff is always going to outshine a bowl. Okay. 
because really what are you playing for there? And, and, and it's kind of dumb because it used to be that, you know, you're not going to win a national championship anyway, but the Rose Bowl meant something, the Sugar Bowl meant something, everything kind of meant something because really only one bowl game meant anything. Um, now you got the playoff and the semis and everybody's kind of angling. They want to expand, expand, expand. You know, if you used some of these bowl games for a group of five playoff action, and there are some good, solid bowls out there. The Sun Bowl is a, in El Paso is a very historic, good bowl game. And they have an ACC, I think there's Florida State, Arizona State this year, two pretty good brands. Um, but they've got an ACC and Pac-12 matchup every year that nobody gives a hoot about, you know. Um, you know, the, 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 that's a good bowl. The Gator Bowl in Jacksonville is a good bowl. The Outback Bowl is a good bowl. You know, I kind of like the Pinstripe Bowl because it's unique. But you mm-hmm. can, you could take these bowls like that and say, all right, we're going to do it just like the Power Five, and then, you know, you're going to rotate into a championship game. And these group of five schools will bring more fans than an FCS school in a lot of cases for their playoffs, which you play at smaller stadiums and things like that. Um, you could play the semis uh, on the Friday before semifinal Saturday, uh, if that's the idea now, is to go with the semifinal Saturday. Um, and then you could play the championship game on the Saturday, you know, before the Power Five national championship game. And it would get a lot of views. And, you know, in the sport of football, on the high school level, you know, there's no, like, very few states that, that have any sort of population say, okay, we're going to have one state champion, and that's it. <laughs> you know, they divide them up. They divide those schools up into classifications, and there's usually about five or six of them. In some cases, there's eight. Um and they award championships based on that, and they have playoffs based on that. So I, I don't think there's anything wrong with doing that. And I think I think the money for the group of five is is still going to be there if you work it out correctly, and that would work. Uh, beyond that, you know, saving the bowl system, I'm, I'm open to any kind of ideas. I think the first thing they need to do is do away with these tie-ins because Virginia is in the Orange Bowl because of a conference tie-in. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Virginia is playing Florida in the Orange Bowl because of a conference tie-in. The ACC had nobody else. They were, you know, uh, if you're the selection committee down there, you're Richard Gear from an officer and a gentleman. You have nowhere else to go <laughs> but Charlottesville. I mean, there's no other team that you would even think about being uh, in that game because everybody else is kind of crummy. You know, Virginia was good, but obviously 45 points Less than Clemson, you know, in the championship game. Um, so, so they need to do something about it. You know, things like the Citrus Bowl and Outback Bowl and Gator Bowl, Music City Bowl, all the bowls that SEC people are used to going to. And thank God they're adding the Las Vegas Bowl to the SEC uh, repertoire next year. And I think that's outstanding because yeah. fans will go out there for a game. Love that bowl. I've done that bowl game a couple of times yeah. on radio. That's a cool – it's a great uh, – it's a nice stadium, perfectly placed, good time. Weather's usually nice that time of year in Vegas. Yeah. That's good all around. Yeah, it's, it's a great deal. And, and, and but, but we're going on like since the Bowl Alliance days, okay, some of these bowls have been tied in with the SEC or ACC or whoever. And so what happens with that, Mike, is, I mean, like, you're the Outback Bowl. How many times can you have, like, Penn State play, um, you know, Ole Miss? Or how many times can you have Iowa play Tennessee or South Carolina? How many times is the Gator Bowl going to have Tennessee or Mississippi State or Kentucky? You know, it, it's just it's stale. These are stale places for certain fan bases to travel. They're gridlocked. You have other bowls in nice places like the Boca Raton Bowl <laughs> down at FAU Stadium that I think some fans would travel to because nowadays, got people aren't just getting in the RV and going to Florida because ah, Penn State's playing. Well, we're going to get in the RV and go just like we do every year. It's a different world because. You know, fans are not attending games like they used to. So I would do away with every single tie-in. And I would either say, we're going to bring it in-house and have a selection committee or a a draw, or or we're going to go back to the old Wild West days where you had a guy in a suit show up and they kind of cut deals with schools and things like that to get these going. And I think that would lead to more interesting matchups. Now, the other thing you could do, 
is if you're going to have a hundred and whatever bowls, which that looks like what we're going to, and I and you've me, you and I've talked about this. It's about television programming in December. People love college football. They're going to watch it whether or not it's on. It's not like it used to be where like you you only had like eighteen bowls, and you know from the Independence Bowl forward, you were like, well, who's going to win this one and who's going to win that one? People don't care. They're just watching it on TV. What you could do is just say, all right, every Power Five team gets into a bowl. You're two and ten, get into a bowl. Nine and three, getting into a bowl. You know, it, it doesn't matter. And then, yeah, hey, mate, you know, maybe you have a Tennessee team that goes two and ten, and, you know, they may just want to get the season over with, frankly. But, hey, they have another game, and maybe they play Air Force or something, and it gives you more intriguing matchups. And, you know, it, it's bowl qualification is really not that hard anyway. So, um, and, you know, of course, there's coaching changes and stuff like that. But if you build it into the schedule, I don't think it would matter. Now, I mean, yeah, I, I think you could move it to the spring. Um, coaches aren't going to go for that at all. But I, I think that would make things more interesting. I just, you know, you could move them to the beginning of the season. Um, of course, then you're not going to have your, your uh, programming in December. So I, I don't know. They're, they need to really look at that, though, though, because I do believe the bowl system is dying. I, I think that... You know, at the very least, let's 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 shake it up a little bit and, and get some more intriguing matchups because, like I said, you go through a thirty-year cycle with this, Mike. Everything just tastes stale. I mean, it's nobody's going to the Outback Bowl anymore uh, because they've all been. And, and I think fans to to travel these days for games like that that don't aren't playoff games, um, they need a little more. A little something extra, you know. It needs to be a little bit uh, fresh uh, in their minds. Well, I, I agree on everything. I mean, I, I think, and look, I'm torn a little bit because you have a couple of national guys. Like they're the the extent of their their hot take is we got too many bowl games. Oh, too many bowl games. I hate them. And uh, what? Okay. Well, what is your solution, sir? Like, like first of all. If, as I always say, and this is true of just about anything on television, if you don't like it, don't watch it. I will watch a meaningless bowl game before I watch uh, another American Idol type show or, you know, or the other crap that's on regular television. So while I don't think they're very intriguing, that's not the point. These are made for TV events and windows of time where nothing else is going on. Every sports bar in America has that on if you know anything about tv ratings now that that the system has changed you actually get credit for that now uh it used to be like that would just count as one tv viewer now it counts you get the credit for the group um and and people that are at home during the holidays it, it might just be background noise but it's still on it's still on and so i'm not i'm not bothered whether it's 39 bowl games maybe they get to 45 i really don't care but i think the big thing is as you mentioned, how to make the matchups as intriguing as possible. If we're in the in the solutions game, if we're trying to actually solve problems like the wolf in Pulp Fiction, you know, if if I'm being curt, it's because time is of the essence. That's that's what it is. Like, let's go ahead and actually come up with some solutions. Not ah, this bowl game sucks and that bowl game sucks. We got too many bowl games. That's all I know. Like, okay, really? That's that's your insight. Like, what what do you what else do you have? I look at so many of these bowl games like it's just an additional regular season game. Like for a lot of these teams, it's just a 13-game schedule instead of a 12. So, and, and the and in order to avoid complete embarrassment, we make you go at least six and six, and unless we can't qualify enough teams at six and six and above, so we'll throw in a couple of five and sevens for good measure. I, and I can't remember did that happen. This time out, do we have to go to the five and seven path? I think they ended up being safe with all the six and six. I think we got, yeah, I think we got, so for 39 bowl games, what is that, 70, we found 78 teams that were 500 or better that we could stick into a bowl game. Okay, great. Um, and the other thing is when people try to get cute and say, well, the new rule should be if you lose three games and you can't, well, again, it's college football, so it's never apples to apples. Yeah. Three games, a three game, three loss team in the SEC is not the same as a three lost team in the Mac or even the Pac-12. So, I mean, you, you oh, got to yeah. apply some logic when you're talking about this stuff. But I agree. Get rid of some of the tie-ins. 
Um, eventually, when the playoff expands to eight, that makes a couple more bowl games relevant. And if you have a a group five playoff, that makes at least another what half dozen or so uh, bowl games relevant. To me, that's the easiest solution, and, and start from there. Yeah, just have them mean something. I mean, if you think about it, well, I, and, and I don't know. You know, would they include the Bulls in an 18 playoff? I probably would, but they talk about campus sites sometimes and stuff like that. Uh, I would. And, and then you got, you know, you got four first round Power Five games and four first round Group of Five games. So that's eight bowl games right there. You got two semis. That's, you know, that's 10 bowls that all of a sudden are directly related towards playing for a national championship. Right. I'm digging that, you know, and let, and let me, let me clarify what I mean by, um, uh, I, I don't mind campus sites. In fact, I think that's where we would go if we went to eight, um, and I think that's you'd almost have to go for Group Five, otherwise you're really going to be playing in front of some empty stadiums. Uh, you're going to have to have some home site venues, so maybe we don't call those bowl games, yeah. but they're there is in essence they're bowl matchups and they're relevant games. So no matter what moniker we put on it, whether it's a slap, you know what bowl game or a first-round playoff game, it's still a meaningful game, much more meaningful than what we have and what we're left with right now. So, okay. All right. Uh, I'll just say this real quickly on the Heisman Trophy. There, there's, there wasn't much to it. I, I, it was my 13th year as a voter. Yes, I voted for Joe Burrow. It was the easiest vote I've had in 13 years. And I've had a couple of easy ones, and I've had some that I've struggled with, and I don't always go with the trends. Um, I voted for Deshaun Watson when Lamar Jackson won it, and I still feel good that Deshaun Watson was the best player in college football at that time. I don't care if Lamar Jackson throws for 5,000 yards and runs for 2,000 this year in the NFL and he's having an MVP season. doesn't change the fact that he had a better year that year in college football. And if you look at Christian McCaffrey's uh, sophomore year, it's one of the best years anybody has ever put together in college football, and I voted for him over Derrick Henry. Not saying my vote was right uh, and Derrick Henry was wrong. I'm just telling you those are two of the ones I remember that I disagreed. So sometimes I'll disagree, but I'm never the contrarian guy. Like, oh, everybody's doing this, but I'm going to be different, and I'm going to vote for the nose guard uh, for Michigan because I want to. I say that to get to this. I don't know what rock you were living under if you were part of the four and a half percent that didn't even put Joe Burrow on the ballot. Good Lord. But you're you should be exposed. This is why I think every Heisman vote should be publicized. Uh, If you're fortunate enough to to take part in it, if you take it seriously, you should also be held accountable. Unfortunately, the 900 people that have a vote are not. And so five percent of the people got cute and didn't even put them on the ballot. One of the, maybe the best season an SEC quarterback has ever put together on an undefeated team that beat several top 15 teams that had several Heisman moments. That is the poster child for, for what is right about college football. See his speech, which will be played in LSU folklore. And you left him off one, two, and three. I don't think that's ignorance as much as it is an agenda. It's not an anti-Burrow agenda, but if you really want to push for your guy to win, sometimes you'll take the guy you think is going to win and you'll leave him completely off the ballot. Now, that might sound Oliver Stonish. I just don't think people could be that insanely stupid to not think he wasn't one of the top three players in college football. I think it's very easy when you know your vote is anonymous to try and do stuff like that. And for those people... I hope eventually the vote is taken away. I agree, and it's it's sad. You, you do have some situations like that across the country that you go, "Wow," you know, and and, and it's sad. And um, I, 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 honest to God, do question people's sanity um, and, and intelligence level uh, if they're not agenda driven. Uh, but I think a lot of people also are agenda driven, and. Um, that's sad. That that's kind of prevalent in our world today. But also, uh, you could also say those people are ignorant as well because you're you know you're pretending you're 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 trying to manipulate a process because you quote unquote care so much and you're so passionate about uh, player X winning the Heisman, uh, but yet you're poisoning the process of something you pretend to love. And and, and look, if you have got if you've got a good football reason. 
why you don't think Joe Burrow deserved the Heisman or at least deserved to be a finalist, I'm all ears. But but I, I just can't think of one that any rational human being that knows a lick of anything about the game uh, would come up with in that situation. Uh, I can't either. And, and uh, again, I'd almost rather it be ignorance than trying to kind of buck the system a little bit to make a point. Um, but I, I just don't think 5% of the voting in that award could be that ignorant. Uh, unfortunately, I do think we, we were in a time where some people with votes, <laughs> their strong agendas really uh, in very odd ways that you wouldn't think. But that's a story for another time. Congratulations to Joe Burrow. Um, uh, congratulations to all the guys that, that got invited. I thought it was a really good crop of players. had no problem with who went to New York. And um, another Heisman has come and gone. People can, you know, they can um, downplay that award all they want. It's not what it used to be. I mean, I don't know. Here's what I do know, JC, and and I follow pro sports as well. I can't tell you who won the NFL MVP five years ago, but I can tell you who won the Heisman. I can't tell you who won the American League MVP five years ago, but I can tell you who won the Heisman. The Heisman Trophy, no matter how much you don't like the system or whatever else about it, it's still the most recognizable and memorable award in sports for most people. Yeah, and and look, I I just think we've had a a situation where we haven't, um, you know, kind of, again, the optics of the that. You know, we rush to do everything these days, Mike. Um, and I think we had a situation a few years ago where everybody rushed to anoint Lamar Jackson the Heisman winner, and people made up their mind midseason that he was going to be the guy, and that was it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was, quite frankly, wrong. Um, I, I, I think that this year we had, like, an obvious guy start to finish. Um, you know, I, I think in other years it's been a little bit more of a situation where – you could kind of uh, you know make a good argument either way, uh, and, and so I think that you know because we've kind of, it's kind of been obvious the last couple of years. Uh, I think maybe that's why people are saying it's not what it used to be or whatever. And I I, I do think this, Mike, and I'm, I'll say this, and not to get too far into it. Anytime there's like a consensus obvious winner from the Southeastern Conference, you are going to have detractors. And, you know, me and you are SEC guys. We talk to the SEC all the time. Obviously, uh, it's a conference we dig into quite a bit. Uh, but, look, that gets old. When every single time something good, even when it's obvious, happens for my conference, you know, you're sitting there trying to put a poke, poke, hole, poke holes in it. And I, uh, I think that's sad, too. And I think that – don't think for a second – that didn't have anything to do with the, the Joe Burrow situation because there really wasn't an individual player in college football that played better than him every single game, game in and game out this year. Uh, there were really no negative marks on the resume. Like you said, 13 years, easiest vote. Um, I'm of that opinion as well. And it's just a shame that because of the conference he's affiliated with, and some of these people love to sit there and, and just bash the SEC over and over, that there was any kind of like, you know, if they can't even if they can't attack his resume, in other words, they're going to start attacking the award. Oh, it's not mm-hmm. what he used to be. Um, well, that that's your anti-SEC agenda coming out, and you're just, you know, you're just mad because the SEC produced yet another Heisman winner, and and it was obvious this year. So that, that that's my take on that. So the Heisman has come and gone. The playoff is set. The bowl games are set. And here we had National Signing Day. You and I are recording this uh, shortly after that expired. Uh, I will let you take the floor. Your your thoughts overall. I'm looking at a company you're affiliated with, 24-7 Sports, the composite rankings, and this is through National Signing Day. Of course, technically, we still have another period. Top 10, Clemson, Bama, Ohio State, Georgia, LSU, A&M, Auburn, Florida, Notre Dame, Texas. This sounds like a rerun to me. <laughs> but uh, those are the top 10. And then I'll just give you uh, 11 through 20. Uh, Michigan, Penn State, Washington, Tennessee, Oregon, South Carolina, Miami, North Carolina, 
and Nebraska. Your overall thoughts on what went down and what trends are we looking at right now in recruiting? Well, I, I thought that Georgia, you know, as far as the team that maybe caused some fireworks today, you know, they flipped a kid, Jermaine Burton, out of California that was committed to LSU. I thought that was a, a big-time get. You know, they've added some help at receiver. You know, you look at him, you got Burton, like I mentioned. You got Arian Smith out of Lakeland, Florida, who is a heck of a – and there's – Florida schools – Here's another kid. This kid's from Lakeland, Lakeland, Florida. Okay, I, I, Lakeland usually sends guys to the University of Florida. Well, Demarcus Bowman and Arian Smith both are leaving the state for Clemson and Georgia. So people start to wonder why these Florida schools maybe aren't up to snuff. You can come back and trace it back to this. They got a big time safety late Major Burns out of Louisiana. It's an interesting class because. It's not all Georgia guys, you know. There, there are a lot of guys from the state of Georgia that ended up heading, you know, ended up going elsewhere, not turning down the dogs necessarily, just maybe weren't priorities. Um, and so I, I think that strategy for them is different. I think it's interesting. I don't think that's the reason they couldn't close the gap with Bama is that they weren't recruiting nationally enough. But it is an intriguing sort of strategy here. I mean, you look at the top players in Georgia. The top two went to LSU and Clemson. Uh, Auburn got the number four player in the state. LSU got the number six. Bama got the number seven. So there's really out of the top, shoot, the top, top 30 in Georgia. Let's say the top 28, Mike. Top 28 prospects in Georgia. These are 24-7 sports composite rankings. Georgia got two. Two. Mm-hmm. It's the fourth-ranked class in the country. They went all over the country and did a good job getting guys. But, you know, that program sort of has, has been at its best historically when they've gotten guys from Georgia and Florida and the Carolinas and, and rocked and rolled. So I thought that was kind of an interesting trend. Clemson, of course, had an outstanding class uh, they're number one right now. They they signed, what, six five-star prospects per composite, uh, which I think was good. Uh, really like their, their defensive line class. I mentioned DeMarcus Bowman from Lakeland, Florida. That's another big-time running back. Of course, they may lose ETN after this year. Here's a guy that can step in and play. Uh, lots of power on the D-line, too. And then DJ Ugalele, a quarterback out of California. Uh, which I thought was good. And that's the number one class. Bama's got the number two class. Don't, do not fret, Bama fans. You've got the quarterback of the future and Bryce Young. Um, 5'11", 193, but he's cat quick and throw the ball and is really good. And then really good players on the D-line and linebacker for Bama. Um, I mentioned DJ Ugalele, uh, the quarterback, and this brings me to my next point. Uh, and by the way, it was, a, it was a good day for Oregon as well. I don't, I'm not bashing the whole Pac-12. But, but top players in California, Mike, okay? Four of the top five are going to Bama, Clemson, Georgia, Ohio State. So the, the closest to home any of these guys are going is Columbus, Ohio. Okay, the number one player, Justin Flo, Oregon got him. So he didn't stay in state and state of California at all. Um, number six is going to Georgia. Um, the next guy that signed today went to Washington. Next guy went to Ohio State. Next guy went to Arizona State. Next guy to Washington. So of the ten players, top ten players from California that signed today, none signed with any of the programs from California, including Southern California, UCLA, Cal, Stanford. Um, and, and very few, I mean, half of them went to the SEC or Big Ten. I mean, Georgia got two of the top ten in California. Ohio State got two of the top ten in California. Clemson got the top quarterback, uh, pro-style guy. And Bama, and, and I know this kind of rings a bell with you because you are always talking and you're always 100% on this about quarterbacks. you got to have an elite quarterback. If you don't have a quarterback, you're dead. Well, California produces some pretty good quarterbacks, but the two elite guys, the top pro-style guy, is going to upstate South Carolina for school, and the top dual-threat guy is going to Tuscaloosa, Alabama. 
So, 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 so when we talk about sort of some of the symptoms of the Pac-12, this is their breadbasket state. And the Pac-12 schools that are getting California talent aren't even in California. They're in the Pacific Northwest or, you know, good for Herb Edwards getting a top 10 guy to come out to the desert. Um, so I, I think that spells trouble, too, because, you know, if a player will get on a plane and take the flight from L.A. to Seattle to go to college, he'll get on a plane and go to Atlanta or Athens or, or Austin, Texas or Columbus, Ohio or wherever. And that's a problem because it's just not the cool thing for California prospects now to stay at home. Um, and that was sort of why Southern Cal was pretty good over the years. You know, L.A. has a lot of talent. So um, that that would be the alarming trend that I saw today, just kind of looking at everybody, is, is the Pac-12. It's not just their team rankings. It's not just that they're 14th and Georgia's 6th or whatever. Because there's really minimal difference when you're talking about these classes. It's not like the difference between the 6th and 14th best team in the country, which there's a noticeable difference there. Recruiting classes, that it's very, very slim differences. You know, you're kind of more looking at ranges. It's the players. And if this happens over time, like I mentioned, the the Shawshank redemption kind of thing, you know, you're going to have a gigantic hole. Uh, in your football program. So so I don't know what they need to do to figure this out, uh, but that's alarming kind of on the back end. This is something that could impact that league for years to come if this trend continues. All right. <clears throat> Enough about the, the poor Pac-12. <laughs> what, about, what about the poor teams right in our region? What about our, the poor teams in the southeast that continually look up at these rankings and see the same schools above them, Clemson, Bama, Georgia, LSU, A&M, Auburn. Now Florida seems to be back on the right track with Dan Mullen, Texas. Uh, I mean, what do you tell these schools that are just fighting now? Now, these are schools with big stadiums, and they got trophies in the case, too, and they got money, and they got fan support. Uh, they got all those things, but for whatever reason, they're continually finishing behind the same schools every year in recruiting. I know this can be cyclical, but this seems to be a heck of a long cycle. Yeah, I would say that you just you need to get close and, and not worry about finishing behind someone in a in a numerical recruiting ranking, mythical kind of. I don't want to say mythical because you crunch the numbers and. Obviously, the better you recruit, the better you are. But I'm saying that fans look at team rankings. Like Auburn people today are going, I can't believe we finished behind Bama, Georgia, LSU, and Texas A&M. Well, most years you have finished behind Alabama, Georgia, LSU, and Texas A&M in recruiting rankings. You, You always do. This year you beat Bama, lost to Georgia by a touchdown in a game you just didn't play well. You know, you won at Texas A&M, and you were a field goal away from knocking off LSU and Baton Rouge and played them closer than anybody this year. Who cares? (laughs) Those games aren't decided because, you know, they finished ahead of you in the recruiting rankings. Those games are decided by, you know, you have equal sort of talent level by you on that particular day. Your player's playing up to standard. That's just how it is. Same with Florida, Tennessee, South Carolina, Kentucky. You know, Kentucky finally finished above, like, 12th in the SEC. Mm. And I find it kind of interesting. And, look, I was in this business for a while. I think this is a subconscious issue more than a conscious issue where you're a program that kind of breaks through and has a big season. All of a sudden, people – I'm not going to say they boost your recruiting rankings up – but people pay more attention when you get a, a, a three-star recruit and they evaluate, and then that gets down to the evaluation, and people are like, oh, I like this kid. So they kind of throw you a flyer. And they, well, this kid going to Kentucky is going to be really good because they produced NFL talent before, blah, blah, blah. Everybody wants to find the next Josh Allen, in other words. And, and so, so it's fu- funny, Kentucky all of a sudden is, you know, signed four four-star guys. And uh, – I think Mark Stoops will continue to win games. I think Mark Stoops will continue to send players to the NFL. And and if his recruiting ranking goes up, that so be it, you know. Um, don't worry, you know, about that so much. Now, there are really, really good situations like Bama. 
you know, they've been recruiting this way for 10 years. They have depth after depth after depth. Clemson, I think, is starting to get there to where they keep piling these guys up. Um, the rest of them, eh, you know. Um, and, and, and those are the good situations, you know, that are kind of a step ahead. You know, I would say that there are about four or five schools that are always – that have stacked these classes together. They've done it on the field. I would include Georgia in that. Um, I would include Bama. I would include LSU in that. I'd probably include Auburn, if you want me to be honest. Uh, you know, and in the ACC, Clemson and the Big Ten, Ohio State. Um, and the Big 12, maybe Oklahoma, maybe not. And that's it. So that's what, six schools? That's it. Of course, they go to the playoff. And then there are bad situations like at Missouri and Arkansas <laughs> uh, yeah. that had coaching changes that they really don't recruit at a high level. Anyway, they, uh, Missouri's done enough to be competitive. Arkansas is in the abyss. And, and, and that's when you kind of, I think, got to look at a class and go, eh, you didn't do so hot this time. This may cost us. The rest, very little difference. Very little difference. It's always better to get a five or four star player than to take a flyer on a three star. But that's about a fifty seven forty three proposition that that low four star is going to be better than the high three star you sign. Because when you're looking at the rankings, the apples to oranges comparison that player rankings are very little difference. So I would tell those folks out there, don't panic. Uh, it you know you, you know tennis you know Florida finishing sixth over Tennessee this year doesn't mean Florida's going to keep beating Tennessee. What that means is Florida's going to keep beating Tennessee as long as they're better coached and they have the Vols number. <laughs> you know, right. um, Auburn doesn't need to be you know Auburn fans don't need to be worried about finishing fifth today. They signed a good class. There's just very little difference. There, there's you know probably a top tier. A huge middle tier, and then you know schools that are struggling right now. And then there's the, the the Texas Longhorns who routinely recruit well and can't seem to get over the hump now yeah. with yet another coach. Yeah. Um, so that's that's proof on the other side that just because you're knocking it out of the park in rankings doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to see those results on the field. The, you know, the classic example of that from like the '90s was when Steve Spurrier would whoop up on Ray Goff every year. Uh, when Ray was the head coach of Georgia and Steve was in Florida, Steve would go and say, well, I don't know. Jordan's got the higher recruiting rankings every year. Somehow we still beat him by about 20 <laughs> points every year. Uh, so it, it is not like it's the lifeblood of a program, but recruiting rankings, uh, which I think have gotten much more. It's much more of an exact science now, J.C., due to people like yourself and outfits like yourself and people like Tom Luganbill and people, you know, all the people that, that have been manning this. There, there's more tape available. So many of these games on national or on national television. Um, I mean, heck, I got a chance to call Jordan Birch versus Julian Fleming in a high school game, August the 25th in Columbia. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, 10, 15 years ago, the, the, you'd have to like find some grainy VHS tape. It wasn't you, they, they weren't on ESPN on a Sunday afternoon, and everybody gets a chance to see them and and break them down. So it's it is more exact now. It's easier for the top coaches to know who the top players are. Doesn't mean you're going to land them, but I think there's less guesswork now. Than there than there's ever been, and so these programs, uh, there's just certain ones they are set up. If everything is right, you know, and they don't make a ridiculously bad hire, see Willie Taggart at Florida State, then you're going to continually do very well in recruiting, um, and, and that's just the way it is. And you know, if you're Mississippi State, you're you're going to be you know where you're going to be typically in the in the pecking order of the SEC, and even Ole Miss with Lane Kiffin, because of the news the early signing period, Lane can't go in there and switch a lot of kids' minds in such short notice. So Ole Miss finishes 11th out of 14 in the SEC. So you look at the new coaching uh, jobs: Arkansas, Missouri, Ole Miss. Now three of those four are in the bottom, along with Vanderbilt, which is. Not uncommon for Vanderbilt. So, uh, and in many ways, the more things change, the more things stay the same. I think last year the number, JC, was something around 80% of the top 300 signed early 
Are we around that number this time out? Yeah, I, I, last I saw, they were 78 to 85 was the range that I saw. Okay. Um, you know, depending on what top 300 you're looking at and stuff like that. But, yeah, I, I, there's not going to be very many people uh, left, um, you know, for some of these new staffs to fill out classes with. I'll tell you, sometimes that works to your advantage because – Football's a developmental sport. A lot of these guys that did sign today have been committed since before their senior year, and maybe the bigger schools weren't out looking for senior, you know, guys that blew up their senior season. Uh, so sometimes you can find good players like that, but they're behind the eight ball. I, I, and I'll just say this, too, about the certain schools and all that. And I'll, I'll use another Steve Spurrier quote from South Carolina. He kind of came around a little bit to the idea of, you know, the better you recruit, the better you are. Um, and then, of course, he stopped recruiting. But that's a subject for another show. Uh, one thing he said was, he's like, we don't have to recruit better rankings-wise than these other guys. He's like, because we're probably never going to do that. He's like, we just got to get close. And and that's what I would say to those other SEC schools, you know, what is close? Well, it's kind of hard to get to close to Bama when they've signed, you know, the best players in the country for 10 straight years. Um, as we've seen, based on on-field results, if you're Auburn and you're kind of looking up at LSU in the recruiting rankings, eh, it's not so hard to catch that tiger by the tail. Um, so I would, just, I would just tell people that, that just because you finish fourth and another team finishes second, Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that the next four years you're going to lose. It's just football doesn't work that way. But, um, you know, you're absolutely right. But, yeah, as far as the early guys go, uh, most of them are in the boat. And so you know, I, I'm fascinated by – because because this is the first year since the early signing period we've really had a lot of coaching changes around the SEC um, specifically. I am going to be fascinated to see how Sam Pittman and Eli Drinkwitz uh, and Lane Kiffin all finish out their classes – who they may go on, uh, and you know this as well as I do, there are good players everywhere, Mike, committed to mm-hmm. all levels of football, but it's very hard to find them. And, and, you know, yeah. that, that's, you know, so I, I, I'm expecting to either see some you know, classes where they just chalk it up to no, that's it, that was a bad class, we need more time, or some genius moves where I sit there and go, man, they signed eight guys in January that year that were committed to FCS programs, <laughs> and I'm looking five years, six years from now, and they're all getting drafted. Right. And, uh, which, which is, which I am going to start calling a Mark Stoops experience. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know, at this point, I think Mark Stoops is starting to show that this guy really doesn't. He's, he's kind of like the second coming of Mark D'Antonio at Michigan State, which makes sense because he's taken a lot of Mark D'Antonio's players recently. So, uh, you know, the, the, D'Antonio used to get out of Ohio, but I, I think that. It's going to be fascinating to see if some of these schools can have a Mark Stoops experience uh, and go out and find guys. Uh, and I hope that's the case because I think that's good for the game and good for football. Um, and I, I, I would hate to see coaching changes that need to be made not made because people are scared about, you know, recruiting rankings, which are just projections uh, and, and not any kind of certain success. You know, in other words, you don't fire a coach. He's got this supposedly great class, and it throws your program into the abyss more uh, because none of these guys can put together a class quickly. Right. I think the um, <laughs> I think the ultimate X factor that eventually is going to affect this day as we know it, National Signing Day, when we actually get to it, name, image, likeness, mm. when that is actually part of the recruiting process, I mean, I still think it's going to be the usual suspects at the top, but I think things could get really interesting, yeah. uh, if not dangerous, but that's what they're still trying to figure out. Uh, but, boy, that's going to be one heck of an X factor when it comes to all this. I know one thing, the number one ranking always belongs to Brent Skinner of BP Skinner Clothiers when it comes to the very best in men's clothing. And, again, we're right around the uh, holiday season here. What a better treat for yourself or someone you love to go ahead and set them up with Brent Skinner. He will come out to your place of business or your house, fit you, get you ready for the very best in men's clothing from suits, sports jackets, custom shirts, pants, accessories, 
all kinds of really cool looking shoes. I mean, he's got it all uh, at at bpskinnerclothiers.com. And again, if you mention this podcast. With every purchase of a suit or sports coat, you will get a free custom-made shirt on the house. That's like a $200 value. Go ahead, take advantage of it. Go to the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. Brent Skinner is your man, and mention that you heard about it on the J.C. and Morgan podcast. J.C., as we uh, bid farewell, any closing thoughts here on a busy day in college football, even though there weren't a single, wasn't a single game played? Yeah, a lot of, a lot of activity. No, I just, uh, just love it. You know, like I said, I'm... Uh, <laughs> I think it's tough nowadays with the playoff for certain schools that, you know, I'll throw Florida in there as an example. You know, those guys have been through, what, three coaches, two coaching changes, three different coaches the last five years or whatever. They have a good program. They have a heck of a coach. You know, surprised me this year going 10-2 and two again. Um, you know, but, hey, look. They're kind of looking up in the recruiting rankings today and going, why well, Urban Meyer signed number one class and we won national championships, whatever. I would just encourage, like, those level of fans, don't get discouraged. <laughs> you know, it, it, you can still beat Georgia next year easily. You know, you still have enough talent to beat them. Um, you still have enough talent, if you're Tennessee, to maybe beat Florida. Um, there's not that much difference. So much goes into it uh, aside from, uh, you know, a a team recruiting ranking. You know, he's got to look at it from some perspective. And remember what the head ball coach said, you know, you don't have to out-recruit them because really if you're second and they're third or they're third or you're second or whatever, it doesn't matter. You both have great classes. Mm -hmm. Um, You just got to get close. And so keep on trying to get close, folks. And uh, I promise you, good things will happen. And if you keep, if you can keep the talent, coach. If your quarterback is better than theirs, if your coaching staff does a little better job on game day than theirs, uh, that's how upsets happen all the time in college football. Now we didn't see as many of them this year. Uh, and I'll say this in closing, because I'm not exactly sure what what our next date will be on the. Uh, on the podcast it might be right before the playoff begins or right after uh but because this has been such an anticlimactic regular season it does set up to be a heck of a playoff and i just am keeping my fingers crossed that we are going to be treated to two great semis and one memorable championship game i think college football could use that this year uh, of all seasons for sure jc enjoyed it and uh we will talk soon my friend all right thanks mike talk to you soon You got it. That does it for us. So long, everybody. And if we don't talk to you before the holidays, have a very, very Merry Christmas. Either way, we will talk soon on another installment of the J.C. and Morgan podcast.